Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Kaliole Colonna, and this is Nashville. Heads up for our listeners, this episode contains an intimate discussion of gun violence involving children. On March 27th of 2023, six people, three adults and three children were killed during the Covenant School shooting. It is a tragedy that has left an indelible mark on our neighborhoods, our city, and our state. Thousands of people from Nashville and other parts of Tennessee swarmed upon the state legislature, pressuring lawmakers to take solid action in preventing gun violence. Students and advocates from all part of the political spectrum cried out in efforts to protect our children and each other. Many mothers from conservative backgrounds showed up at the state capitol to demand action. Melissa Alexander is one of them. Her child was at the Covenant School that day, and he survived. Melissa and other moms began their quest to prevent gun violence in Tennessee, knowing that with some action and courage from lawmakers, these types of tragedies can be prevented. Melissa is now a firearm safety advocate and is using her experience to educate others and lobby lawmakers to make change. I'd like to welcome Melissa Alexander to This is Nashville. Melissa, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Khalil. Really appreciate it. How how are you doing today? Um, I would just say, like, it depends on the day and it depends on, um, you know, how our household is running that day. There, there's been ups and downs and that's just it. Trauma isn't a linear thing. It It comes and goes in waves. I really recognize what you, your family, and your community have been through, and I deeply, again, I, I, I apologize, but I'm also, I'm, I'm also grateful that you're here to talk with us. Really appreciate. Thank it. you, yeah. thank you for having me on. You know, covenant mom is like a term we've been hearing yes. for a while, but to you, what does that mean? What does the term covenant mom mean? Well, the covenant school um, is also a place I go to the covenant church. So I'm a church member. It's a Presbyterian, uh, denomination. Um, and the covenant school was formed out of a ministry of the church. Um, being a covenant mom really is just that you are a mom of a covenant school student. Now, recently, because of everything that happened in March and the fact that several of us moms and dads came together and they had a presence at the Capitol a lot of people have coined the term covenant mom. You know, I think it's really covenant parents who are at the Capitol kind of advocating for our kids, our, for our victims, um, in honor of our survivors, and just for, you know, all kids in the state and all people in the state against gun violence. But really, covenant mom has become kind of a synonymous um, term people use for moms of the covenant school have, who have been at the Capitol advocating for change. Covenant families, covenant parents. Yes, yes. Like to call it. Because it is everybody, right? It is. There, there are moms, dads. Um, there are a lot of us. Kind of some are some are more front and center. Some don't want to be out there in the front, and some are in the background working. But um, we had uh, in the aftermath of the tragedy formed a nonprofit uh, about a month or two after called Covenant Families for Brighter Tomorrows. There's a C3 and there's a C4 arm, and so that. Uh, really that sole purpose of that nonprofit was to bring together parents who wanted to advocate for change. Um, So those really are the covenant families behind that nonprofit. Now you're kind of out front in the group. Yes. 
I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later yeah. on in the show, but that that's... How do you feel taking on that responsibility of being out front of this group? Yeah, you talk about how are you feeling. Like some days I I, I don't want to be front and center. Um, I do feel I, I'm a woman of faith, and I do feel somewhat called to be in this position. Um, I, I think I have a unique story to tell because, like you said in the intro, my son was present. He was on the second floor. He was in fourth grade at the time during the shooting. So he was one of the classrooms upstairs where everything took place. Um, and so I, um, as a lifelong Tennessean, as what I would say, um, I would probably say I would be a Republican, lifelong Republican, mm -hmm. and our family are lifelong hunters and gun owners. I thought I had a really unique story because I always heard um, advocates for change being those who are like never owned a gun, were scared of guns, maybe were um, more on the dim side. You know, I'd never heard this conversation come from the right or the middle right. Mm. And so that's why I felt really compelled to share my story and share it for the world to see, because I wanted people to see that Republicans, too, can call for change to gun laws. Have as people got to know your story, has anybody, say, say from the Dem side, a different side, have they come up to you and talked to you about how hearing your story has really impacted them and maybe considered them to change some of their views? Um, I don't, you know, it feels like my views, uh, at least on guns, align a, lo a lot more with, at least in the state of Tennessee, a lot more with the Democrats um, in the state. Um, I, I will say that I'd, I'd say the opposite. There are some Republicans who have we've had lots of closed door conversations with some of some leaders in our state and a lot of them, uh, not only leaders, but like just constituents who identify as Republicans have been like, I agree with 100 percent of what you're saying. I am fully aligned with what your messaging is about. Let's create some more boundaries around these laws um, that are still in line with the Second Amendment that protect, give greater protection to our citizens. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've really heard that a lot from the general public. And we've seen that a lot in the polling that has taken place re recently. Let's take a step back. Yeah. You're okay. born here. Yes. Lifelong Tennessean. Have you always lived in Tennessee? Always. My entire life I've lived in Tennessee. I um, was born at Baptist Hospital okay. downtown <laughs> um, in the 70s. And then I spent a majority of my childhood in Williamson County, and I'm a product of the public school system there. Um, I went to college at Belmont, met my husband, and then he uh, got accepted into law school in Memphis. So we went kind of west, but we didn't leave the state um, and lived in Memphis for about 16 years and then came back home about six years ago. So what does it mean to you to be a Tennessean? Man, you, I would tell you, Khalil, you don't get more Tennessee than me. You can hear it in my accent, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can really let that twang come out if you want. But um, what does it mean to be a Tennessean? I take a lot of pride in this state. I think it's a beautiful place to live. And I can see why, you know, again, most of my time growing up was spent in the Nashville area. I see why 100 people move here every day um, because it's just I call it God's country. I think it's a beautiful place. There's beautiful people. You know, in Williamson County, when I would drive to school every day, it was it was it was a lot more rural, and you typically get stuck behind a tractor, hmm. or you drive by your local farmer in a pickup, and everybody waves to each other down on the rural roads. And so, um, it's just it's it's just a great place and good people, and um, 
you know, a lot of great family values here in the state. To respect your child's and your family's healing process, you know, we're not going to be naming them, but to make sure we can refer to him as your son? Yes, my son. Okay. Is there anything you'd like to let us, you'd like, you'd like us to know about your son? Um, he's the coolest little kid I've ever met. And, um, he is about, you know, he is resilient as they come. Um, he's, he's just a fun little kid to be around and he's been such a joy to raise. You know, he's 10 years, he was nine at the time. He's 10 years old now. Um, he is, uh, he's a lifelong Tennessean as well. Both of my kids are. They were both born in Memphis. Okay. And, um, and he brings a little bit of that Memphis with him. He, I love it. <laughs> um, he's got a little bit of that grit, as we say. Yeah. Um, you know, if you follow the Grizzlies, call it grit and grind. Yes, yes. Um, but he um, he is a also an avid hunter. And he hasn't hunted since uh, what happened in March, but from a very early age, well, from the time he was born, Khalil, we got him his sportsman's license. There's a thing called a lifetime sportsman's license in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so like, he was basically born, and the next day my husband said, you've got to apply for this license because um, it it is a, a big, dis- you know, instead of getting your um license every year during this whatever season it is you just get it when they're a child and then you never have to pay for it again okay it goes with you as long as you're hunting in tennessee and so i know my husband had dreams of taking him out to the duck blind taking him out deer hunting and doing other things like that um as he raised our son so um so he has been duck hunting he has his own guns um he's been taught from an early age how to um eject a gun, how to handle a gun, what gun safety looks like. Um, he's probably more well-prepared than most adults to, mm-hmm. to use a gun. So your husband yes. had this dream of hunting with your son. Yes. Did, did you grow up with guns in the house, and did your parents teach you about, about guns and proper usage of guns? Well, I mean, again, I'm born in the South. Probably you don't expect a girl to be hunting or using guns. I will say, as I grew older, really it was my husband who taught me most of my gun safety, so... Um, I would say in call, our college years, he would take me out and teach me how to shoot. Um, he, I have my own gun, um, and we would go to the range or we'd go out to the farm and shoot. And I would say, like, he's taught me enough. Like, we went clay shooting not too long ago. Again, prior to March, I've not been back out. Um, but I'm a pretty darn good shot, too, mm-hmm. with a shotgun. Um, and I think that makes him proud, you know. And um yeah, he, I will say he has taught my daughter, we have a daughter as well, he taught her from an early age gun safety as well. So she knows how to handle a gun and she shot uh, several different types of guns. And guns are really important to people in rural areas, particularly the South. I remember when I was in college in the early 90s, all my friends, I went to school in North Carolina, I grew up just outside mm-hmm. of Baltimore, and my friends were talking about their guns. Some had illegally their guns and campus with them. I'm like, what's up with all these guns? And they looked at me. They said, we're from North Carolina. We're from the South. You get a gun on your 10th or your 12th birthday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. Maybe earlier, mm-hmm. I would say. And it's so it's deeply ingrained in the fabric of Southern life and Southern culture. It is. It's almost like a rite of passage in the South, especially as a boy. I mean, you know, to be able to go hunting and do those things and 
be able to properly use a gun. I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of, a, it, maybe people outside wouldn't understand me saying that. It's ingrained in our culture, but it is. But it's not a bad thing to us. It's not something negative or scary. You just have to learn proper safety, gun etiquette, et cetera. Um, and you kind of just get used to them being around. I, like when I grew up, I talked about living in Williamson County, back in the day, like in the 80s, like people usually had their, their shotgun racks on the back of their in the back window of their trucks. So mm-hmm. typically you had a two shotgun rack and you had, I mean, they were clearly on display. Um, that has changed quite a bit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just part of our culture here. Now, I know this may be very difficult for you, but I want to know, Melissa, can you walk us through that day of March 27th? Yes, I can. Um, you know, I, it's interesting because I work downtown and I have some, I had um, some friends in the real estate business that work um, in different aspects, women, I'm in a women's group and they were like, let's go have lunch. It was a, it was a Monday. Um, and they said, where, where do we want to go have lunch? So we were kind of celebrating something, an accomplishment that I had made actually for, for me, the lunch was for me. And um, we're always, we're all downtown. We're always hanging out downtown. And someone threw out, why don't we meet in Green Hills Hmm. at a restaurant in Green Hills? And I, this was a week prior. And I said, yes, let's do that. Let's meet in Green Hills. And, um, and as everybody knows, the school sits in Green Hills, right? Um, And my house is probably 10 minutes from the school. And so typically on a Monday morning, uh, we have we have meetings at work, we have calls, we have things that I need to be present downtown for. But because of this lunch that was scheduled, I decided to take my meetings on Zoom, which was I never did, mm-hmm. um, which I, I tell my friends to this day, I, you know, you guys did, you don't even know what that did for me. Like you, you gave me such a gift by, by booking that reservation in Green Hills. Um, but I was on my Zoom call and um, I, we were going through capital markets and cap rate trends and fun where, stuff. Well, yeah, fun stuff. What's the Fed gonna do? Um, and I was on a national call about this, and um, I looked uh, down at my phone. I had missed a few calls, and and then a notification popped up on my computer. My um, Covenant School ends at sixth grade, so my daughter had aged out, graduated from Covenant School, and gone to another school, another private school in town that's not far from Covenant. And I I saw the notification, and it said, we are on lockdown, pray for Covenant. And, you know, I'm in the middle of this call, and and the people, some of the people on the call, they said they could see automatically my disposition change. And I... I immediately looked down again and my phone was ringing from that same number I had missed the call from. Mm. And so it was almost like, you know, like some people say when you're in a car accident and everything goes kind of in slow motion. Yeah. Um, it was almost like from the notification, I can even, I can relive looking down in slow motion and seeing that call come through and I answered it. And on the other line was my son. And he was crying hysterically and he was saying, mom, come now, come now. He's like, come save me, mom, come, please, mom, just come here. And, and at that moment, I knew exactly what had happened. I knew based off that was his, that was the third call from that miss that, that number that I didn't know. And based off the notification, I knew that there had been a shooting, but I didn't know what had happened. I hadn't seen any news. Um, but as this is registering in my mind, 
my next thought goes to he is being extremely loud on this phone call. And I love him so much. I said, baby, I love you. I love you. And I, I am coming. I am coming. But my next thought was he's got to be quiet because I was afraid he was being way too loud. And so um, I didn't want to alarm him. I didn't want to tell him to be quiet. But I said, I got, I got to let you go. I'll be there. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving now. Um, and so I hung up the phone. And the minute I hung up, then I went into panic. I, I grabbed my keys and I just ran out to my car and I I, I got in the car and then I started crying. Um, I, in the process, I had called my husband and told him, I said, there's been a shooting, something's happened. I'm on my way to the school. And, um, and then the next thing I was thinking was, I was so upset because all I wanted to do was talk to my son again. I thought that those might be the last moments I ever hear from him. And um, and so I went into kind of a panic while I was driving, trying to call him back and couldn't. Nobody answered. Nobody answered. And so kind of the next thing that goes in my mind, I'm, you know, driving out of my neighborhood as fast as I can, wrong side of the road, honking at everybody, get out of my way. Um, and I let out like the most guttural scream you have ever heard in your life, like almost like all of that agony that was happening at the moment just came out of my body. And all I could think of was Uvalde had happened not even a year prior. And Uvalde hit a lot of us really hard. I mean, you you saw that what had happened and the lack of police intervening or, or coming in to step in. And, and so I, I just imagined that the same situation in my head, I'm, you know, again, I'm processing this driving and I'm thinking not, not one single person is going to stop me from getting to my son. I don't care what they do. I am running into that school and I'm going to get him. Um, and so it took about, I'd say eight to nine minutes to get down to the school, honking at people, screaming, crying, you know, going on the wrong side of the road. And when I pull up to that intersection of Harding and Hillsborough Road, um, the school kind of sits at a corner, that corner intersection there, if you're familiar with that part of town. So mm-hmm. there's two ways to get in. You can get in off of Hillsborough and you can get in off of Harding. Well, when I was coming south from my house, the entrance I would have taken would have been the south entrance at Harding. Police had already blocked off the interstate, I'm sorry, blocked off the road, the intersection at that point. And I thought, oh, no, they're not going to let me. They're not going to let me pass this point because they had everybody. They wouldn't let anybody turn right on Harding. And I screamed out. I said, my son's in there. You have to let me. You have to let me go in there. You have to let me go past you. And he just pointed to me, said, pull over the side of the road. And he goes, check the firehouse. And and so I did. I just I pulled over the side of the road and I saw, I guess, visually, several people standing outside of the fire station that sits at the base of the hill close to the entrance of the school. And um, I just, I ran up to the firehouse and I saw there was a door kind of on the side and there was a police officer standing in that doorway and I could hear that there were children in there. Mm. And I, the police officer, I said, you've got to let me in there. And um, he said, no, we're not allowing anybody to come in. You can't go in here, ma'am. And I said, but my, I, I got to check for my son. I got to find my son. And he said, you can't go in there. And so he wouldn't let me in. And that was just imagine like for those who are listening to have a child and have 
your last thinking, your last words were your child about to be killed and not knowing if that child's alive or not. I mean, that, that was the picture of what not everybody got a phone call. I'm, I don't mm. think a lot of children didn't have access to phones. My son, just someone had given him a phone and he remembered my phone number, mm-hmm. luckily. Um, but, you know, a lot of us parents were in that same moment where we just had no idea of if our child was alive or dead. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour with Melissa Alexander. She's a covenant mom and gun safety advocate. You've got to submit to this possibility, and you're not you're not able to get close to your kids. When was the first time you were able to see your son? Yeah, so I thought, again, I was like, nobody's going to stop me. And so the fire station had two big garage doors where the trucks come out. And so I thought, if anything, I'll just look in here and I'll peek through the window and see if I can see him. And so I I put my hands up to the window. I cut my hands and I put my eyes, you know, so I can kind of peek in. It was pretty sunny that day. It was kind of hard to see. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of scanning the room and there are kids everywhere and all the kids wear the same uniforms, boys and girls. And so it's really hard, you know, you couldn't just be like, well, my kid walked out of the house and this today, yeah. I'll be able to identify him because they're all kind of in the same clothing and it was kind of chaotic. Um, but but right at that moment, my son saw me peering through the window and he ran as fast as he could towards the window and he started um, banging on the window. He said, mom, come, come in, come, come get me. And at that moment, this sense of like, oh my gosh, he's alive. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's alive. And again, not wanting to alarm him because I, I, at this point, I don't know what happened. I didn't, I don't know how serious it is. I don't know that people had died. Um, I just said, look, I said, I, I, again, I love you. And, and I, I knew that they wouldn't let me in. And so I said, I said, put your hand up here. And I told him to put his hand up on the window and I put my hand up right on his. And I said, I'm here with you and you're safe. And we stood like that for um, probably a solid 30 minutes or so. Yeah. You discover, thankfully, that your son is alive and your son is safe. You still can't get to him. Your emotions of relief, I'm sure, are expansive. Did they turn into anger or did they turn into anything else at that time? It was at that moment, it was shock. And even to the point where, once, once they they had a, they had brought bus drivers in from metro schools to come get the children, and they wouldn't let me on the bus. Then I did eventually um, get to come around to that side door and hug him before he got on the bus. Again, he was crying, and all he wanted me to do was get on that bus with him. But I knew he was safe. I knew he was taken care of, and he got on the bus. Now, um, again, in a state of shock, I'm walking around asking people what happened. And I felt like we were all kind of like in this moment of shock, like not everybody's kind of processing and not not really thinking, how could this happen here? Why? What what happened? What did somebody get injured? Like and so I'm asking people questions. And at one point, someone from the church grabbed my arm, grabbed me by the shoulders because I kept going up to people saying what happened. And he said, Melissa, he said, there's been a shooting, but everything's secure now. The shooter is dead. And I said, okay. And um, and at that 
point, that's about all I knew. Um, and we were being told to go to the reunification center, um, to drive to the reunification center at, you know, at that point in time. What happened there at the reunification center? Um, I would say it was in a church. It was in a church off of Hillsboro. And I didn't even know I was on Hillsborough Road at that time. I mean, that's the state of shock I was in, right? Mm-hmm. I was born and raised in Tennessee. I didn't even know where I was sitting and what church I was in. But um, we had to register with the police, give our names, tell them what grade our child was in, you know, what age they were, who their teachers were. And we sat there um, and waited and waited and waited. And, and um, uh, there was a lot of um, silence. There was a lot of prayer, um, a lot of crying and tears. And I... I was able to learn um, a little bit more about what happened, um, but not not fully. I just still didn't fully know um, what happened. Um, they that center was where some of the people found out about their loved ones, and that was really horrific. Um, sitting there, hearing um, one person cry out um, for uh, for their father. Um, that was that was tough. And um, really, I just sat there in silence, you know, kind of checking Twitter maybe to see if I could figure out, piece together what happened. But I really was just, we were all kind of in shock. And my husband made it there. We just sat there together quietly. I'm really sorry. What did members of the community do to help each other. I mean, I, I can just imagine the horror of discovering that a loved one of yours has been killed when you're at this reunification center. Did did community members come and try to help momentarily try to console? Yeah, there were so many people, so many volunteers that rushed upon the church to like, for that person, th- there were ministers in the building, there were people surrounding them, praying over them, hugging them, trying to console them. Um, there were a lot of volunteers handing out water and tissues and um, trying their best to to help us be as comfortable as possible while we all waited for our name to be called to go get our children. There were some families in there that I, of course, knew my son was okay, but there were some families that had to wait for their name to be called before they knew. And that was, that was hours and hours of waiting to find out if your child was alive or not. Can you describe the moment when you and your husband first got to touch your son? Yeah, so they would only let one parent go. The kids were downstairs. Um, I could hear them through a vent um, in the sanctuary. The the room they were in must have been right below us. And you could hear like sounds of children playing and things like that. And the teachers were really trying to keep them um, entertained, et cetera. Um, but they basically said, when we call your name, we want, we need one parent to go out to the parking lot to leave, to get to their car. The other parent can come downstairs and get their child. And then you need to walk out another door and grab your child. And so, um, when our name was called, I, my, my husband said, you, you can go get, you go get him and I'll meet you at the truck. And so I, walked down, I had to check in with police, give them my name, show them my ID, and then we were kind of brought to a room, and then our child was eventually brought to us. And that moment was just a very sweet, beautiful moment of a big hug that we were finally um, back together as a family. Um, But one of the first things he said to me as we were exiting the building was, he said, Mom, give me your phone. Mm. Like very sternly, like, give me your phone. 
And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give you my phone. Why do you want my phone? I've never told this story, actually, to anybody. But he said, Mom, Mom, I already know what happened. So just uh, let, me, let me see why they did this. Mm. And I thought, wow. Like that, I think that reality sunk in that of what had really just happened to my child. And I didn't know all the details at that point. Um, we would learn later on that evening kind of what the experience was like on the second floor, um, at least from his perspective in his classroom. But um, we walked outside and kind of walked around the building and um, reunited. And, and at that point, all three of us were together for the first time, and we all just kind of hugged each other simultaneously. And that's when some there were several photographers taking pictures with zoom lenses. Nobody was in the parking lot. They were far away. But somebody had captured a picture of us that ended up airing kind of on this, all the news segments the next morning on the, on the uh, shows that the morning news shows that ran on like ABC, CBS, all of them. Um, and so that was, I think, what kind of sparked me to action is when the next morning when I, you know, I kind of was watching the news on my phone because I didn't want him to see it. Um, and, and sure enough, like they pop up images and and that image pops up of us reunited. It was the first time I'd actually seen the picture. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it on national TV while the news story is breaking. I want to get to what happened after that. Yeah. After this short break. When we come back. We'll continue our conversation with Covenant mom, Melissa Alexander, about gun legislation and the representative middle who wants to see some change. We'll be right back. Mama put my guns in the ground I can't shoot them anymore I'm Khalil e. Colonna, and this is Nashville. My guest is Melissa Alexander. She's a covenant mom and firearm safety expert who is a part of the movement to get gun safety measures passed as legislation. Now, before the break, Melissa recounted her experience on March 27th, 2023, the day six people, three children and three adults were killed at the covenant school. We're now we're turning our conversation to what demanding gun safety legislation looks like and where the middle of Americans stand on guns. Again, Melissa Alexander, thank you so much for being with us. Now, last year, since that time last year, you have become a very public firearm safety advocate. You were telling us a little bit of what your life looked like before. Question, though, were you someone who was used to getting things done? Were you someone who saw a problem and a need and you thrust yourself into making sure that that, that problem was solved or that need was filled? Um, yeah, so I, uh, I've, been in, I've been a businesswoman my whole life and um, I am uh, in commercial real estate, which is a very male-dominated field. And so mm. I'm very used to being um, kind of fighting against norms and um, kind of I've been told no a lot 
like you're not able to do this. And so I think I think how I'd answer your question is I don't like to be told no. Mm-hmm. So okay, um, and so uh, one of my friends says, "Oh, Melissa, you're you're just a honey badger," you know. And so I take that as a compliment because um, I hate it when people tell me no. And I, and when I'm passionate about something, I'm just going to continue to be that honey badger and keep working towards my goal, whatever that is. Have you done advocacy work on any levels before in the past? Um, so I have done um, mission trips for um, overseas uh, for human trafficking survivors, and that was, you know, very eye-opening. I've never done anything locally here. Um, actually, I never even paid attention to politics, to tell you the truth. Mm. So I was um, very, very new to all of this. I didn't even vote in primaries. So if that tells you anything, I just was kind of um, living my life, you know, doing my thing, but not really paying attention to what was going on in the state. So this this tragedy happens and you therefore you're thrust in this position, but you're also now you're paying attention to everything. What was that experience like as you're getting caught up on the history of what the state, how how far the state has gone as far as enacting any sort of common sense gun control measures, balancing the experience and the trauma that you and your family have gone through, yet understanding that I'm not going to be told no on this because that's the story of your life. You're going to honey badger your way into getting some action happening. What was that, what was going on in your mind? How were you feeling as you kind of stepped into this new role? Um, it's it's really just uh, trial by fire. I mean, we're kind of learning as we go and um, and learning on the fly and learning really quickly. Mm. Um, and so we actually, it's it's really beautiful. We formed that nonprofit Covenant Families for Brighter Tomorrows, and that really was kind of the um, catalyst to get us in, um, kind of organized and get a game plan together. Um, but. It was very eye-opening to see when I had to like do this quick study on the state and firearm safety legis- legislation or kind of the backsliding of it, like a permitless carry. <laughs> I thought we had to have permits for concealed carry. Um, well, sure enough, that was like repealed uh, several years ago or a couple years, not not too long ago. No, not long ago at all. <laughs> and um, I'm like, well, gosh, Melissa, if you had been there, maybe you could have like pushed back on this because who in their right mind wants that? Even common sense gun owners, like we don't, we don't need everybody to be walking around without a permit. You know, mm-hmm. we need people to like really take this stuff seriously, like our family has our entire life. And so it was really eye opening to see some of these laws and, and actually eye opening to um, be, I, you know, kind of jumped into motion immediately. And so I was, it, the, the legislation, legislative session was still going on when the tragedy happened, if mm-hmm. you remember. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so, and that, and in April, just, you know, people were protesting at the Capitol and people were going there every day asking for change. I was not one of them. Most of our, I don't think there were any parents really protesting. Everybody was very much in the, in the throes of trauma at that point in time. And we just didn't have the capacity. And I don't know that, that we are like necessarily the group that would be out there protesting. Um, but you know, to see these people protesting on our behalf and then again, always be this self-identified Republican, but see these three Democrats, the Tennessee three, the two mm-hmm. Justins and Gloria, um, stand, I felt like they were standing up for me. Like I really did. I felt like they were standing up for my family at the time. And I just was so grateful that somebody was taking a stand to the point where they got 
expelled. Two of them got expelled from the house. And I watched everything go down. And actually, my rep, Gina Bolso, was one of the ones who helped expel one of the Justins. And I was like on Instagram. At this point, I'd open up my Instagram account. And I was on Instagram um, kind of messaging at him like, don't do that. Don't don't do that. Do mm. not expel him. And and sure enough, we know the rest is history. They were expelled. Um, but what that did was also bring light to uh, the kind of um, the the issue of like politics and gun safety and how they were clashing in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do. You know, I I'm thankful for kind of all the all the trajectory of what events happened because that set the stage for us as parents to come in and also try our advocacy efforts and now we had a national kind of a national audience people looking at us and and a lot of people wanting to know like what we were doing and what we were going to do from a national perspective what does your advocacy work with this legislature look like yeah so we uh, we are bipartisan so I say I'm a Republican, but um, there are people from uh, who say from both parties. And what we try to do is have conversations. And we're not yelling, we're not screaming. We're just uh, booking meetings or you know scheduling meetings with these people, coming into their um, offices and telling our stories and saying, look, this from our perspective, we would like to see, uh, safer storage. We would like to see expanded background checks. We would like to see a a temporary transfer law. So if somebody is at risk, that they cannot have access to guns. Um, and so um, we kind of frame that conversation in light of our stories. And they were always very, even if we went into an office of somebody who we knew wouldn't agree to us, there was there was always some point like it, it became a very like it was a it was not a contentious conversation. It was kind of a back and forth like here's our view. Here's your view. And um, it always it felt like we were being very productive. Mm-hmm. And even to the point where the governor, we met with the governor several times and he's he commended us. He said, you have created conversations that, that a lot of people in this building wouldn't have had before. And because of your advocacy efforts with um, meeting with over 60 uh, legislators, over the summer, um, you guys have really kind of opened the door to conversation. You're not yelling, you're not screaming, um, you're just sitting down one-on-one and, and talking about it. And being open to conversation and comporting yourself like adults had led to those remarks from the governor and others, mm-hmm. but you know, in the special legislative session that happened over the summer, not much <laughs> happened. And you know, my question is, you know, you come from a family of responsible gun ownership, yet some of these lawmakers taught responsible gun ownership and the Second Amendment as their reason for not taking action on any gun measures to to prevent gun violence. Yet we've got the permitless carry, which seems to me personally incredibly irresponsible. How do you kind of balance what they're saying on the campaign stump, how they're legislating and what they were saying to you and other members of your community when you're talking to them about changing? Um, so they, a lot of, a lot of kind of the folks, again, we try to meet with more Republicans and Dems. Some of them wouldn't promise us anything. Okay. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out there and say, look, this, you know, we got a lot of false promises. A lot of them were kind of like firm in their stance. And, um, but 
for instance, there was one law that Chris Todd out of Jackson, Tennessee brought, and it was a, um, it was basically anybody can walk into a school with a gun as long as they have an eight hour enhanced carry permit. Mm. Okay. Just let me, let me say that again. Okay. So for the audience. Okay. The law was allowing anybody to bring a gun, not a kid, but an adult, any adult to bring a gun on school campus as long as they had taken an eight-hour enhanced carry permit class. Eight-hour class. Yes. And so this bill, um, as it it, it was in special session because special session means that there's a narrow focus, right? But it fit the focus of what the governor was calling. So in our minds, we're thinking safer gun legislation, but some some gun legislation that we thought was really bad for um, schools was also making its appearance. And so we banded together as families and we gave pretty powerful testimonies uh, about why we thought this legislation shouldn't happen. Um, and uh, we fought tooth and nail against that. Um, it passed two committees and in the third committee, um, and, you know, if you read about it, it was pretty, pretty contentious night. And that committee went on uh, quite a while. In that third committee, we got that that um, bill killed. And it was like our one, I think it was like the biggest success story that came out of special, special session was like not us being on the offense, but us being on the defense mm-hmm. to not bring more guns into schools. I thank you for your <laughs> efforts there. I think uh, myself and, and other people who live in Nashville and Middle Tennessee, Real quick, before I go to break, I do want to talk about the middle because we have folks who are pro-Second Amendment, and it doesn't matter about their political mm-hmm. affiliations. I know Democrats, I know independents and libertarians who are pro-Second Amendment, and obviously some Republicans who are, and then people who are kind of anti. But through your work, I think your experiences tell you differently about, you know, talk to me about the middle and how all of us, regardless of political affiliation, can see and find some sort of common ground when it comes to preventing mass gun violence. Yeah, I think it's about having conversations. A lot of these conversations didn't take place before Covenant. I mean, just around the dinner table, around um, in friend circles. And so I think the first thing is like, hey, I want to have this conversation about this. Obviously, what happened made it a lot easier to talk about and opened up the conversation to that. Uh, I have had people who are, again, lifelong Republicans call me and say, Hey, so all the tell me about the things that you're asking for. All these make total sense to me, and um, and so why won't it pass? And I, I would say, you know, it does seem like a lot of politicians are kind of appealing to that that loudest far right voice who's screaming the loudest, right? Um, whereas if you look at the polls, a lot of people have a lot of Tennesseans have more common ground on this issue than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the pollster that does Trump's polls, seventy plus percent of Tennesseans. Um, would like to see a temporary transfer law. Same identical um, answer in the Tennessean poll and same in the Vanderbilt poll, same in the governor's own questionnaire that he put out before special session. Somebody tallied the numbers and it was 75% of Tennesseans want stronger gun laws. So if I'm looking at each of these polls that, you know, you can't say one, the governor's poll is far left. You, you can't discount what people are saying. If you're really looking at what the constituents across the state are saying, everybody's kind of saying the same thing. 
mm. like 70 to 75 percent. That's two thirds of, of constituents saying we need safer gun laws in the state of Tennessee. I mean, any candidate who runs for office and wins by 70 percent considers them having a mandate. And that would be a majority <laughs> of the people. We're gonna, Good point. We're gonna, Good point. <laughs> we're going to take yeah. one more short break. And when we come back, we'll hear more from Covenant mom, Melissa Alexander. We're going to talk to her about what she wants to see for Tennessee moving forward. We'll be right back. Our children are survivors, and they live with that trauma every single day. And what I'm telling you today is if we bring guns into school and we have shootouts like the one that happened at Covenant, between teachers whose hands are shaking, who can barely study a small handgun up against an assault rifle, all that's gonna do is kill that teacher, put that teacher in danger, and then put the rest of that classroom in danger who they are trying to keep quiet. Surviving isn't the goal here. We want to prevent these shootings, and I'm begging you to vote no on this bill. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, you have 13 ayes and four noes. Bill passes, and it's moving on to education and administration. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. My guest today is Melissa Alexander. After the tragic shooting at the Covenant School in March of 2023, she became a Covenant mom and was thrust in the position of being a firearm safety expert. She's a part of a group of parents and activists who are lobbying state lawmakers to make substantive changes to Tennessee's current gun laws to help prevent another mass shooting. Now, Melissa, before, before the break, we were kind of talking about, you know, the stance of what happened at during the most recent le special legislative session on guns. And you talked about how you all were able to prevent what I think is absolutely a ridiculous gun law from actually passing. I want to ask you real quick about the politicians and the legislators. You're in this position now. One question I have is, have you considered potentially running for office? I have, yes. Have you made a decision? Oh, um, I have not. I have not made a decision on that. Um, it seemed like at the end of special session, I was there was one day I was gone. I was with a client. Somebody announced on my behalf that I would be um, primarying uh, the person in my district. <laughs> and so um, that um, that kind of opened the door for me to think about it. Um, I am very passionate about Again, this is my state, like some of the legislators um, in the state aren't even from Tennessee. I think I'm more qualified than anybody um, to help make laws for the state I was born and raised in. And um, like it's the it's in the fabric of my being. Tennessee is OK, like in especially Nashville. That is that is who I am. And and so one day, yes, I think I would love to run for office, I think. This has been enough to kind of launch me into that. But right now, that decision has not been made. Okay. Okay. I thank you for sharing mm -hmm. right there. You know, we're, we have this legislative session that just started. What are you keeping an eye on? What are you looking out for? Yeah. So now I know how to, I know how to track bills. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Khalil, we have a, a spreadsheet of bills that we're tracking good and bad. Um, we are advocating for certain bills for our um, victims' families. Like there's an autopsy bill. Um, to prevent the release to the public of childhood autopsies. And so that's a big one we'll be advocating for, as well as a bill to 
create some sort of um, plan around when the fire alarm goes off, what does a, a school need to do or, or schools need to, um, as a law, create their own plan about what to do when a fire alarm goes off. So like in our case, you don't instantly run out of the classroom, that you take a time to make sure there is a fire before you exit the classroom. Because what we know about these, at least these mass shootings used with a high capacity rifle is that smoke from the rifle is, is what sets off the alarm. Um, and so we don't want a, um, a situation where something like that happens, an alarm set, sets out and, and and children and uh, faculty run into danger. Mm -hmm. So those are two bills we'll be advocating for on behalf of our um, our victims' families. Um, we also would like to again, I mentioned it, safer um, safe storage. Um, we uh, we know that um, some of the top cities for gun theft come out of Tennessee and yes. Memphis, Chattanooga, Nashville. Um, and so we would like to say, see stricter gun laws around that. So more, less guns are stolen, especially out of vehicles. Um, expanded background checks. Um, you know, if you buy from your neighbor next door, background check doesn't have to be run on you. Um, and so we'd like to see more background checks run, especially since in our situation, um, the shooter was able to buy um, a, a large amount of guns in a short period of time. So, um, you know, a stronger system that would flag some of those things. And again, temporary transfer, that law, it's an election year, Khalil. This this one probably will, will not get passed this year, but we're still going to advocate for it um, because we'd love to see um, guns out of the hands of people who maybe are having a mental uh, crisis mm -hmm. at the time. Like, you know, let's, let's relinquish your guns, but you can get them back at some point in time. There's a kind of mirror that law after Florida, what they passed in a Republican trifecta after the Parkland shooting, and it has been working there. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners um, with? Final thoughts are I, w I want more people to pay attention to what is going on. There's a lot of um, seems like restrictive measures, even just in observing what's going on in the house. There's now a ticketing system. Um, one side of the house gallery is just limited to lobbyists um, and some cameramen. And if you're able to get a ticket from your legislator, then maybe you'll get a seat up there. So it feels like access is somewhat being cut off to the public. And it is the people's house, right? So mm -hmm. I want people to just pay attention to the headlines. Don't be like who I was um, over a year ago where you just were just not paying attention because what I have learned through this process is laws made at the local level affect our lives the most. Okay. And so anything being made at the local level, you can't just pay attention to what's going on federally. The local level really is what is going to impact yours and your family's lives here in Tennessee. Melissa Alexander is a mother, firearm safety advocate, and a covenant mom who's fighting for gun safety legislation. Melissa, thank you again for coming on to the show and talking with me. I really deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced and directed by our senior producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Marcy Allen. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram. And tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Kaleole Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>